Welcome to the Show Me Institute podcast. I'm Zach Allhorn from Show Me Opportunity, and today I'm joined by David Stokes, Elias Chappelle, and Avery Frank from Show Me Institute. Elias, uh, at the beginning of July, a law was signed, um, a bill was signed into law, excuse me, and it has to do with transitional benefits. So a couple programs that uh, you pay very close attention to here in the state, and uh, the new law goes into effect at the end of August. What's going on? Well, the law is going into effect, but it's not clear if the provisions in that law will be going into effect. So um, transitional benefits, just a little bit of a background. So the idea behind this, which I wrote a few months ago, is a pretty good idea. It starts with, you know, if you're on a welfare program, say food stamps, um, there's temporary assistance for needy families, or there's some childcare subsidies. The idea would be if the government's paying for these things, you don't want uh, someone to be disincentivized from going to work. You have a situation for a lot of people where they um, are offered a you know higher paying job, but they don't want to do it because they're going to be losing um, some other benefits. So uh, that was what this bill was trying to do. But um, after a very, what I would say, unsuccessful legislative session, this bill that got passed and unfortunately the governor signed, uh, this bill has a lot of problems and uh, I'm surprised it got signed, and I think in the next few months we're going to see really if any of these things are going to go into effect at all. So the problem it is attempting to solve is what's commonly called the welfare cliff, right? And is it safe to say that they wanted, instead of a cliff, they were trying to build like a ramp? Is that a good way to think about yeah, it? Yeah, I think that's I think that's what they were thinking. So you, you would think whenever, um, you know, this cliff idea is the idea of, okay, say you're making you know, $15 an hour, but you're after, offered fifteen fifty an hour. Um, but if you take that, you lose all of your benefits, which could be worth way more to you. And so the idea would be, if you take that raise, uh, your benefits would, instead of going completely away, they um, would kind of ramp down. You'd get less and less until you're off the program. But the big problem with that is that it turns out the state doesn't actually have your income data like that. So th they're not gonna know um, as, as you're getting that raise, you know, that your um, income is going up. And so essentially what's going to happen is in an effort to try to make this ramp, you're essentially going to have the state looking at your income every six to 12 months, and then you will just be getting a, a later cliff, essentially, will, will be what's happening. So no real-time salary updates. It's going to be an administrative challenge. Yeah, I think that's something that a lot of people don't necessarily realize because the government does have tons of data on us, but they don't really know how much money um, anyone's making at any given time. Um, and then this bill has a variety of other um, issues in it that um, will come up uh, shortly, which is, so after after you just look at the income problem, you um, so that's really an issue for food stamps and uh, the temporary assistance for needy families. Uh, there's another part of the bill that has transitional benefits for uh, child care subsidies. Well, these programs, all, all three of them are federally funded, almost entirely federally funded. Well, the federal government gets a say in how Missouri wants to change these programs. And what uh, the federal government has basically explicitly said is that uh, the idea that Missouri is trying to do for food stamps and temporary assistance for needy families, you can't do. And for the uh, child care program, they've essentially said you can't check income that frequently. And the other part that the um, bill is trying to implement where um, people can it, essentially opening the program to more people, they say the federal money can't be used for it at all. So uh, what's going to happen with this bill 
essentially is that Missouri is going to either be paying for these programs that were previously federally funded out of state tax dollars, which would be incredibly expensive, or the bills won't be going into effect at all. And there's another administrative challenge that the bill wants it to be a one-page document that people fill out for uh, to see if they're eligible for the programs. What are some of the issues with, I mean, I understand it in principle, I guess, making it simple, but what are some of the issues you see with that? It's a story of this whole bill where it's like there's all these different things that seem like great ideas, but in practice they don't really work. And so, as I mentioned, these bills or the these different programs are you know, federally funded, entirely federally funded as of now. And so the federal government has a variety of uh, requirements for information that people will need to um, keep the government up to date on and how it um, how you qualify for it. And so what happens if you try to make the application one page is essentially the state will not be able to ask for enough information um, for the person to become eligible for the program. So what uh, if this goes into effect, what will happen is someone will fill out their uh, one page application. The state will then receive it, uh, look through it, and then they will have 30 days to get back to the person who um, applied, get the rest of the information, and uh, hopefully finish the whole eligibility process. And if they don't, which there's tons of stuff in the news right now about Medicaid where the state has not been able to process um, a lot of these eligibility redeterminations very quickly, um, on these on this transitional program stuff with the one-page document, what will happen is if you if the state cannot get all the information they need within 30 days, the application will be denied and, and the um, enrollee will have to try to apply again. So you could very easily see a situation where this thing that was supposed to make it much easier for uh, people to get benefits, uh, easier process to get on, actually ends up being way more frustrating because people can't even get on to the program in the first place. So you said if it goes into effect, it's supposed to go into effect August 28th. We're sitting here recording on August 7th. Um, looking at over the next few weeks, what are your? If you had to make a prediction on what's going to happen at the end of the month, what do you think? Well, once once August twenty eighth comes, I think the state department is going to be exploring opportunities with the federal government, kind of starting a conversation and seeing, you know, which pieces of this uh, bill can even, you know, even have an avenue for going into effect. Uh, the budget did not include any money for these programs, so if the federal options can't um, go into effect, the state doesn't really have the money to start the other parts. So I would guess, um, and even on the application portion, the federal government gets a bit of a say there. So what you're going to be looking at is the start of a conversation. Uh, so people that would necessarily be looking for a uh, transitional benefit, uh, that's not something they're going to be seeing on August 28th, I don't think. And going into the next year, I'm not even sure it's something that will be resolved incredibly soon. And so I think by the next legislative session, I think there's going to be a long list of things the legislature needs to tackle on this issue. So this seems like another situation where this might be the consequences of some poorly written legislation. And David, we've been talking about over the last few weeks, SB 190. That's the uh, allowing municipalities to vote on property. Ta and you think that legislation was also poorly written, right? Well, it was done very quickly. It was done sort of on the floor it wasn't the final version was nothing like what was heard in committee and that and that the entire part about allowing counties to exempt seniors 
citizens freezing their property taxes so that they don't pay higher taxes going forward. That was put together rather, rather slapdash, and that's why there's a lot of questions with it. And most counties around the state, as I follow this, St. Louis County tried to pass a bill freezing taxes. It was, it was uh, appropriately rejected. St. Louis City has a bill to do even more, which I am pretty sure is completely illegal. That won't necessarily stop them, but it's completely illegal. But most counties seem to be taking much more of a wait-and-see approach to this, and good for them to try and get some of these questions answered uh, as to who really is, what do they mean by eligible, because the bill is very, very short. What do they mean by what do they mean by el- eligible? Is it, when would it be frozen? There's just many other questions. So it's good to see the counties playing, playing this slow. And hopefully it will mean to, in the long run, most of them, or none of them even better, will, will adopt it. And one more thing uh, on the transitional benefits bill, Elias. So in, uh, at the end of the session, you wrote a blog post uh, about the, the bill that ultimately is going to it sounds like become this law. And I just want to read a sentence in it. Uh, No other state has anything similar to what is being proposed here. Whoa. Like when I, when I read that, I I think we're, we're out in some uncharted waters. Yeah. And you know, the thing is every state is dealing with these similar issues. You know, they're, these are federal programs, every state's dealing with them. And so as soon as you go to you know, something where um, Missouri legislators that haven't really talked about a bill like this for very long, um, you know, getting this thing done in a in a few months without very much input, uh, you know, the a lot of the issues that I'm citing on this bill were in they were in the bill's fiscal note. the The State Department was telling the legislators, you know, here are these red flags, and there are plenty of them. Basically, every provision of this bill has some major um, you know major red flags, and so I think. I think the legislature probably should have listened to a few of these beforehand because, um, you know, this really could turn into just a major expansion of government, a very expensive type thing that doesn't actually accomplish what the legislature was trying to do. So you're looking at a bill here where you're either going to see something that never goes into effect or what does go into effect creates more problems than it solves. All right. Well, we'll uh, be keeping track of it over the next couple of weeks. Um, David, there are some special elections around the St. Louis area this week. What uh, what are the voters going to be asked about? As you said, we're recording this on Monday, August 7th. And so Tuesday, August 8th, is special election day. And there's some really interesting votes out there. The, the one I'm probably most intrigued by is the merger vote in the city of Glen Echo Park with the city of Normandy, where their voters are going to be voting on whether to approve the merger of both these cities. We talked about this several months ago, did a brief video on it. I think this is great. I think this is exactly the type of bottom-up, citizen-driven reform that St. Louis County needs to to reduce the number of really small municipalities in the county. And Glen Echo Park is, if anything, really, really small. Uh, So I think merging it into Normandy would be terrific. And I hope it's like like when Vanita Park and Vanita Terrace moved merged about five years ago hopefully we can have more of these things and out in rural missouri i think uh i hope we get to a movement where a lot of the the really small towns out there it might be tougher for them to merge because they're in many cases not bordering other towns but uh time for time for a lot the word disincorporation to get into the uh, lexicon of rural missouri municipalities over the 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 next decade i'm not talking about towns of 2,000 people i'm talking you know towns of 
20 people. And just looking, staying in St. Louis County, um, do you see other opportunities for, I mean, St. Louis County is pretty cut up. There's a lot of a lot of little nooks and crannies. Do you see other opportunities around for mergers? There are mergers for cities all throughout the county, particularly in North St. Louis County and sort of middle North County. There are some opportunities for disincorporation, I believe, as, as well. There are opportunities for school district mergers and, and sharing resources as well. So we have, we have a plethora of such choices. Uh, speaking of school districts, there's at least two school districts with tax increases on the ballot tomorrow. Uh, Merrimack Valley out in the sort of which includes parts of Jefferson Franklin in St. Louis County and then Fox District down in Jefferson County. They have a very large tax increase on the ballot. I think it's 92 cents, which is a lot of money for the average home. And I, with as angry as people are about their assessment increases right now, I would think these school districts will have a very difficult time getting, getting substantial tax increases passed uh, uh, tomorrow. Uh, with assessments in the news, many people appealing them, and it on it's on everybody's mind. So those votes are going to be very interesting. I would I would predict they'd be hard for them to pass, but I have a batting average of about a thousand and being wrong when it comes to predicting municipal elections in Missouri. So maybe that's just the type of of a good luck charm that the supporters want. Uh, finally, there's a few other special elections around, but the one that I think is a really a bigger issue is down with a proposal for a new special business district in St. Louis Hills. Think of when you go to Ted Drew's, you're going to St. Louis Hills, essentially. Francis Park, beautiful area. I've got friends in that area, so down there a lot. But, but the creation of a new special taxing district, to me, all these new special taxing districts are at their core an admission that government is failing. And it's not a radical statement to say that city government has been failing for some time. So... What you have in, this, in St. Louis Hills is this new property tax to spend on security and park improvements for themselves. And I think there's a few other things they had to throw in, like a quarterly newsletter. Like, that'll, that'll save the day. But uh, nonetheless, it's for private security and park improvements. And I would, if I was living there, I would not be voting for it. I think, you know, it's highly troubling how in order to, because this is happening, Holly Hills did it last year. More and more neighborhoods around the city just sort of taxing themselves to fund local things, leaving the larger city issue sort of aside. I certainly understand where they're coming from. They're doing this out of desperation almost, so I, I get that. But enhancing private security at potentially at the expense of the police department, I'm, I'm not sure that works so much. And they would say it's not at the expense of the police department, but they have... I wrote a blog post about the surveillance state coming to Missouri uh, just on our blog a few a week or so ago, and this is a class example of that. They've got just enormous private surveillance down in this neighborhood already, and this is just going to make that worse. They would say better. The supporters would say better. I would say worse. And we have seen this trend in the St. Louis area over the last couple of years, more people being concerned about not only the staffing of the police force but we see a lot of stories about wait times for you know people call 911 and they're being put on hold people call 911 for an ambulance and it's 20 30 40 minutes before someone shows up so um i don't know hopefully it doesn't get worse before it gets better but i do have a sense that maybe we're going to see more of this kind of stuff absolutely and and having it on these election dates and 
you know, June or August or April election certainly is going to favor their passage as the more active people who want this are much more likely to get out and support it. The, the sort of, I would, this is exactly the type of thing if it was held on the November ballot, it would probably be much harder for them to pass. All right. Um, so we'll we'll get an update next week on how the uh, special elections pins and here. needles pins and needles pins and needles people frantically updating their podcast feeds waiting for an update. Um, Avery, you saw Oppenheimer. Oh yeah. What'd you think? It was good. I liked Mission Impossible better, which may show you know the my youth a little bit, but. It was a great movie. You wrote a blog post that'll be up at showmeinstitute.org this week, uh, and it has to do with with Oppenheimer and a bill. You were able to blend Oppenheimer, the summer blockbuster, and a bill that passed the U.S. Senate, but not the House yet. And it's uh, about energy policy. So tell us about it. Yeah, it could be a blockbuster as well. So last Friday, it passed the Advance Act passed the U.S. Senate, eighty-six to eleven, and basically it seeks to make the U.S. a leader in nuclear energy worldwide by lowering regulatory costs, and streamlining the construction process for advanced nuclear reactors. And this bill, you know, it has a lot of support. It got 86 votes. It was part of another bill, but it has a lot of support because it builds on bipartisan desires. It increases our power supply. It increases our energy independence. And it provides reliable and powerful emissions-free energy. So... Vogel Units 3 and 4 in Georgia, they just finished. It was a long, a very long process. It took over a decade. They initially thought it would be $16 billion to finish. It ended up being $32 billion to finish. It is a traditional nuclear reactor. And I think that will probably be the last traditional nuclear reactor. The Callaway plant in Missouri is a traditional nuclear reactor. And these are, if you want to think of it in the very basics, just the really big nuclear reactors. That's what they are. They're enormous projects, produce a ton of energy. But these, now we're moving away from it because, you know, just a project, it's too big. It's too costly. It takes too long. The regulation's too unpredictable. So we're moving towards small, advanced nuclear reactors. But the two key differences I'm going to point out is one, small, advanced modular reactors, they are prefabricated. So Vogel, Callaway, they had to have a custom design. Their reactors had to be custom made and to fit the landscape that they're in. But with small modular reactors, basically you propose a reactor design. And this design, once it's approved by the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, it can be used multiple times over and over again. So you can kind of capitalize on the economies of scale and make it in a factory off-site and ship it to the location. So that's the benefit of a small modular reactor. And the second one is they're more versatile. So they're like 200 to 600 megawatts, whereas the big traditional reactors are like 1,200 megawatts. And so with these smaller reactors, like the one, the small modular reactor being built near my hometown is the size of a football field. And it produces like, it's somewhere between 200 to 600 megawatts, but it's going to be smaller. But it's also a much smaller footprint. And with that, you can put it in a lot of different places. You don't have to clear out an enormous like a lot of land you don't have to make these big cooling towers it can be in a lot of different places you can use pre-made designs and that is the big differences between an advanced reactor and a traditional reactor but the nrc charges 290 dollars an hour which sounds like a pretty good gig but um and a typical design it takes about eighteen thousand hours to review a design 
So at the end of the day, you're paying over $5 million just to have your reactor design reviewed. And that review can be denied. Like Oklo, they submitted a design for like a two megawatt, like absolutely tiny micro reactor. And it took 22 months to review and they had it denied. And it's like, okay, all that time, now you have to pay for that entire review and you have to pay to fix the design. And you had to pay all of your workers to make the design in the first place. It's just extremely risky. So the Advanced Act is trying to lower these regulatory costs by making the indirectly related costs to nuclear construction not fall on the nuclear developer. So that will lower the regulatory costs. And it also streamline the process by trying to make it where you can take old brownfield sites like coal plants were, and you can easily transform them into a nuclear plant and also just trying to train more staff. So that's what it will do. Our uh, final... Another thing. So Avery, uh, first of all, it's a fantastic description of the policy and a, a complicated issue. But Avery always has to sit, whenever we sit around this pocket, he has to sit where, outside of an arm's length from me. So when he, that when he says things like, Mission Impossible was better than Oppenheimer. I, he has to be <laughs> distant where I cannot just haul off and smack him in the middle in the middle of his conversation. It's like we need a running count of during these podcasts of Avery's smackable moments. I, that, that would have been one of them. I did flag that too. That my <laughs> Tom Cruise is my favorite actor. I have a little bias, if that helps at all. All right, this is a whole nother podcast. We're gonna have to. We don't have time for this. Um, all right, our last topic, David. There's a battle going on in Chesterfield. It involves a uh, legacy retailer. I guess I will call them. What's uh, what's going on? Well, we've we've talked a lot about on this podcast, and at Show Me Institute did a lot of work on the the Chesterfield tax increment financing proposal last year, which was unfortunately approved by the County TIF Commission and the City of Chesterfield. Well, Dillard's, which still owns some land in there has sued uh, because they say that they were not properly notified and many other flaws to the TIF process, so they weren't aware of it. And there were, again, flaws in the legal process, so they have sued to stop it, as is their right. Well, just revoltingly, Chesterfield appears to be responding to that by trying to seize Dillard's property via eminent domain. So this is how this is how the Chesterfield government reacts to people standing up for their own rights. They're going to seize Dillard's land. They're going through the Chapter 353 process, which by all accounts, and this is detailed in West News Magazine, the all, end game is that Chesterfield will just take that land from Dillard's and then give it to the other developer, the one trying to do the, the big TIF development right now. So just, I mean, to take private property by the city and give it to another developer for private uses, I mean, it's just so terrible. Uh, we'd, we've seen a lot less of this in Missouri and around the country in recent years after the, the really outrage over the Kelo Supreme Court decision about uh, 14, 15 years ago. So this is legal, unfortunately, but it's a terrible thing to be doing, and, and Chesterfield should be ashamed. And hopefully it, it has not happened yet, so hopefully it will not happen. And this has already been going on, not this specific lawsuit, but the um, the issues between Dillard's and Chesterfield several years now, right? Right, and the lawsuit was right was passed after the TIF, so the lawsuit was filed several months ago at this point. I don't know the exact date, but the proper place to adjudicate that is in a courtroom. The, pro- the proper way to adjudicate it is not for the city to seize Dillard's land and give it to somebody else. And yes, they would have to pay Dillard, Dillard's for it. I don't want to act like that I'm misleading people. But that aside, it's still completely wrong for them to be doing this. All right. All right, let's wrap up 
the way we always do. Uh, what are you guys keeping track of over the next week? Elias, we will start with you. Well, now that it's August, uh, that means we have one month of Missouri finally processing Medicaid redeterminations. And there is a dashboard where I can go and check uh, basically how those redeterminations have been going. I think there was a editorial in the uh, St. Louis Post-Dispatch talking about how you know, Missouri couldn't find or couldn't uh, confirm the um, eligibility of about 10,000 uh, people. And so uh, my goal this week is to be diving into that. And uh, just a reminder that if you know you don't qualify for Medicaid, you probably won't respond to the letter. So that doesn't mean people are still eligible for the program if they're getting kicked off. But uh, Missouri should be saving money soon and the enrollment will be dropping. And so we're keeping an eye on that. On that. Avery? Just going to be looking around at the education, see how it's going, school choice around the country, and I'm looking forward to our DeAngelis event. That's right, September 6th, uh, Corey DeAngelis, if you're in the St. Louis area, go to showmeinstitute.org, tickets and information there. Nice plug, Avery. David? <laughs> well done. Uh, just still following property assessment disputes around the state, particularly in the Kansas City area and in Jackson County, where the assessor's off. I mean, they're to the point now where the City of Independence is suing the county over assessments because whether or not they were too high, they were certainly, there certainly appears to have been a terrible management of the overall process by the Jackson County Assessor, missing deadlines, required dates, and the like. So it's gonna be a very interesting lawsuit going forward. I don't necessarily think we're gonna see major lawsuits like that around the state, but people are upset about their assessments and we'll be brighter. We've got a lot on it at showmeinstitute.org, blogging on it and the like. But giving seniors only a property tax freeze is not the solution to this. All right. Thank you all for listening. Avery, Elias, and David, thank you very much. And as always, plenty more at showmeinstitute.org.